Who's enjoyed going through the Gospel of Mark so far? Who doesn't know we've been going through the... No, don't, don't answer that. And we, before each message on a Sunday, we've had uh, somebody come up and, and read that part of the Bible that our message comes from. I noticed last week, uh, Nathan did all of chapter 13. Was that a fairly long reading? That one? That was, that was a marathon effort. Well done. Um, so to top that, I'm going to read chapters 14 and 15. Right? <laughs> no, I'm actually only going to read from Mark chapter 14, verse 1 to verse 11. So um, rather than get somebody else to do that for me, I'm, I'm actually going to do that this morning because I've been on holiday and I'm out of practice and I think a good Bible read is, is just what I need. So Mark chapter 14, verse 1, have you turned there? If not, it's on the screen behind me. And it says, It was now two days before Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law were still looking for an opportunity to do things that are really good for people. Oh no, hang on. To capture Jesus secretly and kill him. It sounds like really holy. This, this you know, job description of chief priest, find and kill Jesus. Luckily, it's not in my job description. But anyway, but not during the Passover celebration. Because you might think they didn't have social media back then, but they knew the power of communication. And they knew that if they did it during the Passover um, celebration, the people may riot. And that's it. They agreed the people may riot if he did it during the Passover. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. What do you imply from that? He was healed. By, by whom? While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those at the table were indignant. What's wrong with my head, they said. No. Why waste such extravagant, expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want to. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth. Wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and disgust. Funny. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priests to arrange to betray Jesus to them. Nice guy. They were delighted when they heard why he had come and they promised to give him money. So he began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that your word brings us encouragement. I pray that we will leave this place this morning with our burdens being lighter. But I also pray that we leave having had our relationship with you deepened. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I've titled my message this morning, or subtitled it, The Wolf You Feed. And it's based on that story which I think a lot of us have heard about the Cherokee Indian grandfather who's giving life lessons to his grandson. And apparently this story cannot actually be traced to the Cherokee Indians or any other American 
native Indians, and it's thought that it might have been penned by George Bernard Shaw, um, which seems a bit odd. But anyway, it's a good story. And it, it says, an old Cherokee is teaching his grandson about life. A fight is going on inside me, he said to the boy. It is a terrible fight, and it's between two wolves. One is evil. His anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. He continued, the other is good. He is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The same fight is going in inside you and inside every other person too. The grandson thought about it for a minute and then asked his grandfather, which wolf will win? And the old Cherokee simply replied, the one you feed. Now in this passage of scripture, we have two people who have been exposed to exactly the same thing, but they've fed a different wolf. Let's start off in verse 3. It says, meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy, and we've guessed that he was uh, cured by Jesus. And while he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Now, if you were sitting at a dinner table and a woman came in with a, a, a jar of Chanel number no. five, got a knife, shot the top off and poured it all over your head, would you consider that a normal sort of dinner time experience? No. no. Uh, interestingly enough, Jesus did. And, and, it's not like, and it's not like this woman snuck up behind him. It, it wasn't done sneakily like he wasn't sitting there and suddenly it's like, glug, 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 oh, you know, the ice bucket challenge sort of thing. This was the woman, anybody guesses who the woman is? So it doesn't say here, but it does tell us in, the, in one of the other Gospels. The woman is actually Mary, sister of Martha, brother of Lazarus. And she comes in with this jar of expensive perfume, uh, nard or, or spike nard, I think it was called, comes from India. So it, it is really expensive. And the alabaster jar itself indicates that it's important. They didn't have those nice little glass stoppers in those days. They had a they sealed it, so you had to smash the top of the bottle to get it out. And to anoint a guest at a festive dinner with oil was actually quite a normal thing to do. But you usually got you know, olive oil from next door and wiped it on them. But this, this was expensive. Now, I don't think we can understand quite how expensive. It says that it was worth a year's wages. Now, who, who as a couple here has more than one car? David and Liz, how many cars have you got? Two cars, okay. Now, think of it like this. So I've chosen David and Liz to give an expensive gift of oil. Now, imagine I thought about giving them a car. Now, perhaps they've got one of those Toyota, Yaros, is it? Um, <laughs> yeah, Yaris, sorry, Yaris. Yeah, sorry. Um, now, what, what if I gave them a new, brand new Yaris? Would that be a nice gift? So what's that, 20, 20 grand, about $20,000 for a Yaris? If I walked to the, up to them, they've got two cars already, mind you. One of them is a Yaris. And I gave them the keys to a brand. I said, here you are, have a car. Wouldn't that be nice? Oh, but hang on. Uh, 
do you earn more than $20,000 a year? Oh, that's right. Yeah, we got, we've been through that. Um, uh, so, oh, uh, hang on. I'll give you two. So, 40 grand. Do you earn more than... Oh, crap. Um, three. Three cars. Now, um, we won't get into details here, but three, three cars would be... They've got two. I've just given them three. And you're thinking, what the heck? What do they need five cars for? That's... Yeah, that's, that is over. That's the sort of perfume. This is the, the the cost of what she's giving them. It's three three Yarises, not three Yarosses. That's a lot cheaper. <laughs> and so we can see here that their, their reaction to what she's done isn't unreasonable. We are talking one heck of a lot of money. I mean, how the heck she got her hands on that expensive a perfume? We we don't know. But the thing is that she brought it in there and. And she poured it over Jesus. And so the actions themselves weren't strange, but they elicited a very strong response from some of the disciples. And verse 4 tells us that some of the table were indignant. Why waste, pardon me, such expensive perfume? What are you actually supposed to do with perfume that doesn't involve putting it on someone? I mean, possibly the amount yeah, it could have lasted a bit longer. Um, it could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor, so they scolded her harshly. Now, has anybody ever seen this happen to people? They do something for God that's extravagant and people talk about them behind their back. Oh, perhaps they should have done something different. What about their family? Have they given consideration? But out of a pure heart, they've actually done something for God. Now, we know from the other Gospels, because again, it doesn't tell us here, that these voices were led by one Judas Iscariot, who was the group's treasurer. And so he was very intimately involved with collecting money for the poor. Unfortunately, we discover from some of the other Gospels too that he considered himself one of the poor and was skimming off the top. And so they've, they've talked about the fact that this could have been sold for more than a year's wages, given money given, and it's a legitimate concern. But it's interesting that their concern here wasn't real. I mean, Judas certainly wasn't interested in the poor. He was just thinking of the monetary value he could have got out of it. And the other it shows that those disciples that objected still didn't understand who Jesus was. I mean, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. What gift can you give Jesus that tops or even comes close to matching the gift that he's given us. It's, it's, it's a mindset change. It shows us here that while Jesus had, had by now told them he was the Messiah, he demonstrated that he was the Messiah, he'd, they'd, been, they'd all been around seeing the miracles. Some people still didn't understand the value of Jesus, the fact that he was the saviour of the earth. They actually still saw him as coming to have a physical kingdom on earth. There are a lot of people who, who were looking for a political so solution to their problems and thought Jesus was it. So they, they were scolding her. And it says, you know, they scolded her harshly. So it wasn't just like, oh, you shouldn't have done that. You know, what a waste. It was like, you idiot. What have you done? You have wasted. Look at how many lives we could have changed. And what, they, they hoed into it. 
They were mean. And so Jesus, unlike Mary's critics, defended her action. Verse 6 says, But Jesus replied, Leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? It's easy to do sometimes, isn't it? You will always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want to. I think here's a telling point, and I think we, we suffer from this short-sightedness as well, and that when we see large amounts of money being thrown around, our automatic response is that could have been used for something dear to our heart or, or in a charitable way. But I think Jesus pins it right here when he says, the poor are always with you and you can help them whenever you like. I, I, I saw a comedian uh, the other day and he said, look, he said, I am all for solving world poverty. I will do anything within my power to solve world poverty as long as it doesn't change my situation. And that is the attitude of most people in Western countries like Australia. We don't mind giving to stop world poverty as long as it doesn't change our level of comfort. I mean, if you think about it, to, to get people out of poverty, people who aren't in poverty are going to have to move closer to the poverty line to equal things out. But we have this strange idea that somehow we're going to be able to solve poverty and bring everybody in the world who lives below the poverty line into the three meals a day, iPhone-toting, Facebook-loving uh, people like us who need to exercise to get the excess weight off rather than having to eat just to get any weight on. And that that's the way the world's going to be. We don't realise that we're 1% of the world's population on Facebook. Well, actually, possibly more than that on Facebook. But there's got to be some change. And he's, what he's saying here is that you're looking for opportunities outside of your control where you can point the finger and say, yeah, well, why don't they give to the poor? But you have the opportunity to do that every day. You have the opportunity to sponsor a child out of your pay every week. You have the opportunity to give to, 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 to charities. You have the opportunity to give to, to the church. We have the opportunity to help missions in, in Fiji. We do all sorts of different things if we want to. But sometimes we'd rather just point the finger and say, look at that guy. Who was it who started Microsoft? Bill Gates. Look at, the, look at his head. $14 million he spent on a house. Oh, why didn't he give that to the poor? Oh, well, he did. Oh, yeah, must he give? Oh, I think it was $150 million last year. And the year before and the year before. And sort of what he spent on his house pales into insignificance to what he actually does give. And yet we look... And we have this skewed idea. And when it comes to Jesus, we have the same problem. Our first call as Christians is to love Jesus, not love the poor. That's our second call. But anything we do that expresses our love for Jesus is a higher priority than anything else on earth. And so, and he goes on to say, um, she's done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. So he, he's, he's starting to talk about his death and resurrection again already. I tell you the truth, whatever, whenever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deeds will be remembered and discussed. That's disgust, not disgust. So he saw Mary's action as beautiful. He criticized them for not being able to see the expression of love and devotion towards him was actually more important than their petty discussions 
about the poor. The interesting thing is the contrast is not between Jesus and the poor. The contrast is the difference between the words always and not always. We will always have the poor, but they did not always, or were not always going to have Jesus amongst them. And that was what he was trying to get across. Then we get a really strange bit. After all of this, verse 10, Judas Iscariot suddenly gets up and leaves. He's, heard what, he's seen what Mary's done. He's heard what, well, he's objected along with some of the other disciples and he's heard Jesus' answer. And then it says, Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priests to arrange to betray Jesus to them. That's what you do after dinner. They were delighted when they heard why he had come and they promised to give him money. So he began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Sounds weird, doesn't it? Why did Judas betray Jesus? Well, there are a few schools of thought on that. The first one is that Judas was actually the only non-Galilean member of the Twelve. And so he wasn't quite as close. And he, he, he may have actually responded to the notice that had been sent out. That, did you get the notice? You, you haven't got the notice. Really? It's in John chapter 11, verse 57. It says, Meanwhile, the leading priests and Pharisees had publicly ordered that anyone seeing Jesus must report it immediately so they could arrest him. He was just being a good citizen and letting them know. So that was one thought. It was just that you know, he was an upstanding citizen in a greasy sort of way um, and had seen an opportunity to make some money and to betray Jesus. The second one is that he's he was disillusioned by Jesus' failure to establish a political kingdom because he had come believing that Jesus was actually going to oust the Romans and set up the kingdom of God here on earth. And so... Who knows that if, if, if you back a successful revolution, there's money in it. And so Judas was looking to sort of come in on Jesus' coattails and make a killing in the market um, because of this new kingdom that was going to be on earth. And looked at the moment that he's not going to get any return on his investment. So he, he may have been disillusioned. And his love for money may have moved him to actually just salvage something for himself and get out while the going was good. But ultimately, he came under the control of Satan. We look at the airy actions of Mary and Judas, and most of us, I hope, would like to think that we're like Mary. And there's no Judas in us whatsoever. But like I said earlier, there are two wolves inside all of us. There's Mary and there's Judas. And those wolves are at war within us. See, both people were exposed to the ministry of Jesus. They've both witnessed miracles. They've both sat under his teaching. They've both eaten with him, traveled with him, and heard revelation from his lips. Mary showed that the love of Jesus was her first priority. Judas was torn between his love of Jesus and his love of money. Mary wasn't afraid to be generous because she knew her source was God. Judas looked to Jesus as his source, but to provide an earthly source. He wanted to see an earthly kingdom defeating the Romans, defeating the poor, and uh, defeating the poor? Feeding the poor. None of you picked that up. <laughs> feeding the poor and, of course, feeding Judas. Mary wasn't 
under any illusion. She didn't have any expectations for herself. She knew Jesus was the Messiah and she was prepared to follow Jesus no matter what it meant for her life. Judas was derailed by unmet expectations. He had preconceived ideas of what Jesus was doing and because those ideas were shown to be incorrect, because his expectations weren't met, he became sour, bitter and twisted. How many of us have had that happen to us? We have expectations, often unrealistic, often not even stated. And suddenly we find they're not being met and we get bitter. We get resentful because our focus is not on Jesus. It's what Jesus can do for us. It's not on the Spirit of God. It's not on the love of God. It's on the hand of God. And so we have to make sure that we understand that those two wolves are inside every one of us. There are no Marys out there and there are no Judases out there in completion. But we fight our fears, our unmet expectations with the love of God. And sometimes I'm sure, because I've had this experience and I don't think I'm too different to most of you, sometimes we, f- we fight and we wonder which wolf is going to win. Sometimes our unbelief or lack of faith feels so... so strong in us that we think how how am I going to get back on track sometimes we're so full of faith we think how could I have ever thought anything negative but the same thing holds true for all of us whichever wolf we're feeding is the wolf that is winning and we have to look at that what a great example is the offering that we're just about to take up I mean, I have to admit that when Vicky and I first discussed the idea, I dismissed it as pointless. Not very generous, am I? But I I thought, my first thought was, there are others worse off from the flooding. The second thought was, we can't raise enough to actually do much good. Have you seen the pictures of their auditorium? It's going to take a massive amount of work. I I doubt today that we're going to raise the 30-odd thousand dollars they're going to need. I could be wrong. I'd love to be. The third thought I have was the insurance will cover all of it. We don't have to give any money. Yeah, that's a good idea. No. And then I thought, even if it doesn't cover all of it, their church is pretty well off. They got two cars. Why give them three more? And my mind went on in that vein that what, what we can do is is either too small to make a difference or is irrelevant because it's covered by other people or other things. But the more I thought about it, the more I realised that it isn't about our expectations about what they might do with the money. It's about actually showing them that we are with them in their time of need, that we love them, that we respect their place in God's kingdom. For all I care, the church can buy Julie perfume with the money that we give them. Or Bruce, I guess. Yes. Actually, I do have this really innate worry about getting Bruce perfume, but um, I could probably get over that with time. But whatever they do with the money should be okay with us. It's not the money that's important. It's the fact that when we give them the money, guess what their thought is going to be, I hope. It's going to be a question of somebody cares. We haven't been forgotten. They're with us in this. 
I mean, I'd like at some stage too to offer volunteer help if they need help to sort of fix things, physical as well as just uh, monetary help. But the thing is, when it came to that, I thought, even with giving, there are two wolves inside of me. And one of them, I I was threatening to feed it. I said, why are we doing it? It's a waste. It's pointless. Why bother? But I had to feed the other wolf that says, hey, we are all in this together. We are part of the kingdom of God. They are building a church in the Adelaide Hills that is changing people's lives, getting people saved, introducing them to the kingdom, introducing them to people's Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. What can't we do that is actually going to impact their lives? And so we've got to feed that wolf. We are here as part of the kingdom to show our solidarity and support, no matter what they do with it. I mean... Perhaps they should send Bruce and Julie on a holiday. I know that it certainly hasn't been a holiday for them in the last, next, last couple of weeks. hasn't been for us either. You can send us on another one. Um, but you get my point. There are two wolves that affect how we act in life. We've got to make sure we're feeding the right one. We've got to make sure that Jesus Christ is actually at the centre of our world, not the things that he can do for us, not the things that the world thinks we should be doing, what we can do for Jesus. Out of our love for Jesus, guess what? Those things will come. But we don't want to be pushed into them by outside influences. We want to be feeding our love for Jesus. We want to be feeding our dedication to his cause, if you like. We are ambassadors for him here on earth. And so I, I want us to prepare to take up that offering right now. Um, uh, I, you may have got a, an email during the week. Uh, I sent it out to as many people whose email addresses I had that, that I could find um, encouraging people to give. Uh, so you may have already given online, which is fabulous. You may want to do that right now if we could perhaps get the giving slide up. Uh, if you've got push pay on your phone, you can uh, do that and you can tag it. Can you actually specialize? Or I thought perhaps C3AH offering would be good. C3 Adelaide Hills. If you need a card to fill in to put into the basket, Nathan has one there. Raise your hands high. He'll, he'll come and give one to Liz. Um, oh, you didn't? Oh. oh, no. Okay. Anybody else need a, a, a giving slip? Okay. Is everybody... People are still on their electronic devices. I can see the glow on their faces. (coughs) Okay, if you're ready, let's just pray. (coughs) Lord, we have no idea of the consequences of our generosity. But Lord, we know that you are a miracle-working God. And Lord, we are praying that your kingdom is expanded, that your name is lifted higher, and that your Son, Jesus Christ, is exalted with our giving this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, attendance. If we can take up that offering now, that would be fabulous.
Before we finish this morning, I want, to, I want us to spend a bit of time in prayer. And I actually want to pray for anybody who would like specific prayer. Around this whole idea of the internal struggle that goes on within us. Can I actually ask everyone to stand? Sometimes I think standing is actually part of taking a stand. And I think we do have to take a stand to um, actually make things happen in our lives. Some things you can do sitting down, some things you can't. And we all have this, this struggle going on inside of us. It's the right thing to do. Or the wrong thing to do. Now, most of us would like to think, well, I'm intelligent enough not to do what I know the wrong thing to do is. Who knows that the Apostle Paul was fairly well educated. And yet he says in, in the New Testament, he says, I don't know what it is that makes me keep doing the things I know I shouldn't be doing. You sort of think, well, gosh, if he struggled with it, what, ch what chance have I got? Might as well give in to the lot. No, no, that's not, I'm not preaching that. <laughs> but we struggle that we, we struggle to know sometimes how to feed the right wolf. We struggle with the fact that one wolf, and it's always the wrong one, seems to be hungrier than the other wolf all the time. It demands more. And so we struggle. So I want us to start to pray. I want us to make a decision this morning that, that we actually acknowledge the struggle. I mean, part of, our, part of our problem when it comes to this struggle is we pretend it isn't there. Yep, I'm good. No worries. I've got Jesus on my side. Nothing can dissuade me. I'm full on for Jesus. Yeah, right. We all struggle with that. But part of our defeat comes from the fact that we won't admit that it's a struggle. We try to tell ourselves, no, I've never listened to the bad guy. I've never done anything that I shouldn't do. You're lying. So I want us to begin to acknowledge to Jesus that we do struggle. To say, Lord, I struggle with doing the wrong thing. I struggle with lying. I struggle with stealing pens from the workplace I don't know I struggle with temper my anger I struggle with addictions drugs porn can be anything admit to God that you struggle then you can ask him to help you in the struggle if you tell God everything's alright how can he help you but we need to admit to God that there's a struggle.
And if you're struggling, and if you're prepared to admit you're struggling this morning, because we've all got to admit it, who's brave enough to put their hand up and admit they struggle sometimes? I think we all do. But if you want a touch from God this morning, added strength to feed the right wolf, I'd love to pray for you. As an act of faith, I I invite you right now to step out of your seat and step onto this altar. I'd love just to lay hands on you. Just to impart that power of God's Holy Spirit. To feed that which is good. To feed that which is right. To starve the things that try to derail our lives. Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit is at work inside each and every one of us. That, Lord, as we struggle and fight, we fight with you on our side. We fight with you, assuring us the victory. We fight with your Holy Spirit working inside every single one of us. Lord, we take you on board this morning as an ally, as a partner, to help us in our struggle. Lord, we acknowledge that struggle this morning. We acknowledge that sometimes we lose and sometimes we win. But we believe and we pray right now that as you fill us with your Holy Spirit, as you bring your person into our lives, that battle becomes easier. That we feed the good inside of us, that we starve what is not helping us, that we are inspired and encouraged to follow your word, to fill ourselves every day with your spirit. Holy Ghost, we pray, we ask, we believe, we have faith that you fill us right now, that we do not struggle alone, but we fight with the weaponry of heaven, with the armour of Almighty God, and with the strength and comfort and power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we acknowledge that we are in a fight. We acknowledge that some of the battles we're in, we lose because we've fed the wrong wolf. But Lord, we know and we affirm today that as long as we have your spirit filling us, then we may lose the battles, but the war is ours to win. Lord, as I, as I prayed earlier, I pray right now that the burdens that we face fighting these battles 
this morning are lifted. That we feel lighter, less constrained, more victorious this morning. But not because of our strength, not because of our holiness, not because of our efforts. But because, Lord, we've come closer to you. We've acknowledged you more deeply as our Lord and our Saviour. We have recognised that our expression of love for you supersedes all other things. Mighty God, bring us closer through the power of your Spirit in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You guys can go back to your seats. <coughs> One final thing before we finish, and I'll continue the wolf analogy if I may. But often, when it comes to accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, we face that same dilemma. There are two wolves. One of them is inside us saying, yes, I can see that I need Jesus Christ in my life. And the other wolf sits there and snarls and says, no, you don't. You'd just be one of those wimpy Christians. Nothing ever good came of that. Stand on your own two feet. You're an independent person. You don't need God. And sometimes we feed that wolf. and We're secure in our own humanity. We think, God doesn't care about me. But if we feed the wolf that says, I'm a creation, the most high God. I'm not just somebody else. I am favoured by God. He knew me before I was born. If we can understand that the negativity of the world doesn't actually belong to us, and we can understand that actually taking a step and saying, okay, I'm going to ask Jesus. So that we, Jesus doesn't tell us. We don't tell Jesus. We can ask Jesus into our lives. He's created us, but he doesn't force us to choose a wolf. But he says, if you make a decision to make me your Lord and Saviour, then the world will change. We actually have to make that decision. We actually have to feed that. We actually have to take a step of faith. It's a courageous step to say, okay, I'm going to ignore my misgivings and I'm going to take Jesus at his word and start a journey where I have a relationship with him. So I want to ask you this morning, I want you if you just bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. If you are here this morning and you have either never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour or you know that you have listened to the wrong wolf, you have walked away, you have removed yourself from a relationship with Jesus, then I say to you this morning that all it takes is a decision to turn around and start walking that path Jesus Christ once more.
If you want to do that this morning, and we do that just by praying a short prayer to invite Jesus into our hearts or back into our hearts and make a pledge to actually start or continue to walk with him from this moment on. If you're here this morning and that's you, you want to start a life or renew a life with Jesus in your heart, can I just ask you while nobody's looking around to raise your hand so that I can see it and I would love to pray with you that prayer to bring Jesus into your heart to start you on a new path this morning. Is there anyone at all who would like to do that? Excellent. Can I get you to open your eyes and stand up again? I know this is a bit like an exercise class this morning, but I feel that we should, we should actually... You know, some services end with a whimper. This one I want to end with a bang. Not that any of our services end with whimpering. Um, but I, I just want us to... I want you to follow me in a prayer, an aggressive prayer. And I want us to actually take to task the battle within us. And so I want you to repeat after me. Devil, Devil. get out. I am not listening to you. you. Instead, Instead. I place place my faith and trust trust in Jesus Christ. Christ. I choose choose his kingdom. kingdom. I choose choose his knowledge. knowledge. I choose choose his love love above above and beyond beyond. anything else. In this world, in Jesus' name, name. amen. Amen. Hey, thank you guys. Thank you, Kirsty.